Welcome to episode 95 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. Hey, Jason, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Not bad for uh, eight o'clock on a Monday evening. And I'll tell you what, the weather here is unbelievable. I mean, it makes London look sunny. Yeah, it's like monsoon season. What the hell? Like, it's been raining nonstop for about three days. Yeah, well, you know, it happens that way in the Southland, I guess, is that you, you hardly have any rain. And then in the wintertime, it kind of comes on pretty hard. Huh. So, but, you know, whatever. I mean, it's something different. <laughs> it'll be over in a couple of weeks. Oh, so it's, so it's just a couple of weeks, is it, every well, year? Well, no, no, actually, that's not true. It'll it'll be kind of, it can be kind of rainy in January and February, but um, I don't know. I, I don't remember it ever being that bad, except for a couple of years when it was like El Nino. Okay. El Nino or El Nino or something, I don't remember. Oh. But I wouldn't sweat it. It's, it'll be over and it'll be sunny for like months on end for too long. Okay, so I I got in the post today your uh, Micport Pro, which is your audio interface, which uh, we bought with the money that we raised. Oh, and that's, fantastic. Yeah, that's one one half of, of your audio stuff, so we, I'm waiting for the mic to come. Now, the, the idiot who delivered it, basically in the pouring rain, there was a balcony, but he decided just to leave it on the front steps. <laughs> so it's just completely soaked and covered the main box. But then right. when I opened it up, it was all right inside. But just why would someone do that? It's so stupid. Yeah, that's pretty poor. Right. Pretty poor service. Well, yeah, so we decided to spend the money on the uh, on the audio. That's I mean, right. I, yeah, so uh, after listening to our last discussion show, I just noticed there was a, a very distinct difference in the quality of your audio versus my audio. And mine sounded kind of muddy and fuzzy comparatively. And I'm like, all right, we just we need to get this squared away. And so I'm actually really glad because to, to me, I think the audio is way more important than the um than what the website looks like. I mean, at the end of the day, that is the product, right? So to me, that's where the money should go. I think that's much better. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I think that's right. I mean, why not? Let's not get the audio set and then we'll worry about other things. So. And put it this way, it's not like we can't get big fish with with the uh, the way that it looks. I mean, I just asked Jason Calacanis and he said yes. Yeah, that was good. That's <laughs> the second really big fish you've, you've landed or you've caught, right? So the first was was Mr. John C. Dvorak. That's right. Dvorak, and the second is uh, Jason Calacana. So that's it's impressive. So, well, we have, to set, we have to set it up with his people and uh, hopefully his people can talk to my people. Well, I guess that's just me. <laughs> your people? <laughs> talk to your, what, you talk to your wife? <laughs> talk to Georgie? Just talk to me and, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll set something up and then um, we can... We can do a good good show with him, and I wonder whether he's he he realizes that texting essentially only exists because of uh, the fact that we met through his his show this week in startups. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, I'm I know I know you've mentioned it to him before, but whether he remembers it or remembers that fact or understands that that's what texting is, you know, may not. Well, you, you know, also he, think there's 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 kind of a number of different parts. I mean. One thing I know is that he reads Hacker News, right? So he's going to see a bunch of different stuff. So both of us have had stuff go up on Hacker News. And I wonder whether he's pieced together everything, like all the things that you've had on Hacker News, the fact that you called him up on Prezo. Yeah, so I was like the first call-in guest for this week in startups 
we talked about Prezo and um of course, I built the first version of Local Bacon, which he was a big fan of and which launched at the TechCrunch 50 back a little over a year ago. That's right. So that's another connection. And then, um, uh, let's see. Yeah, and, and of course, my blog post, How I'm Bootstrapping a Startup with Three Kids, that was sort of a, a response to his blog post. And so he was kind of very aware of that. So I don't know, you know, maybe. It's like he's seeing dots on the map of this person forming and then one day <laughs> yeah, you're going to suddenly materialize into his life. <laughs> yeah, he he probably isn't aware that it's me, right? I mean, there's just like, these are little dots, like you said, and I don't think he's... We'll see. I guess we'll talk to him soon. We'll find out. But yeah, good stuff there. So, um, um, oh, go on. What are you going to say? Well, how did you do it? I mean, how did you land him, right? I, that's, I think it's... Well, just because uh, I, I signed up to Quora, right? And um, haven't been paying too much attention to it. And I got an email in my inbox saying um, that Jason Calacanis has started following you. So I kind of had a look at how many followers he had. And he had 4,000, sorry, how many people he was following. It looked like he was following 4,000. So I think that he's doing a similar kind of thing that, that I'm doing on Twitter, which is just following people, hoping they follow you back. And it's just kind of part of his marketing campaign. But hey, since he followed me, I sent him a message and said, hey, uh, you want to come on Tech Zone? <laughs> and he's like, he sends back one back saying, yeah, sure. Uh, send me an email. So, Wow. That yeah, that's really cool. Well, no, why did you sign up for Quora? Well, because it's like one of those things that I've been hearing about. Um, it does look kind of interesting. It looks very, I, I don't know how you control the stream that you get, but, but the stream of, of stuff that I get is very, very kind of me oriented. It's very startup oriented which is kind of cool. I don't know how it decides that. I don't know. Well, I mean, maybe that maybe that's all Quora is. I don't know. Well, why don't you first of all explain what Quora is? Because I'm not sure if all our listeners are, are aware of it. Okay, well, I'm going to give a, an explanation that is very uneducated, because to be honest, I don't know that much about it. <laughs> <laughs> but what, <Fine>. Go ahead. <laughs> but what I do know is, is that essentially it's created by one of the guys uh, behind Facebook. And it's like an... Right. It, and, and there's definitely some Facebook technology in there. And it's got kind of direct integration with Facebook. And I guess somehow it, 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 it links you up with people who are related to... Well, it's a Q&A site, right? <laughs> kind of like Yahoo Answers or something. But you follow certain people and, and um, right, it's kind of like a cross between like Yahoo Answers and Twitter. You know, I don't even think we should, we should has, you know, attempt to try and explain it because I honestly don't actually know... <laughs> So you signed, well, I'm just wondering, I mean, you said you signed up for it because you're hearing about it, but you don't even know what it I've is. I've been into it twice. I signed up for it. I went into it first time and it was just like, eh, what's this, right? And then next time I get an email in my, in my inbox, Jason Calacanis is following you. I go in, I just write one message to him and that's it. I, so I've been, I've spent an entirety of about 10 seconds in it. Well, you have increased your luck surface area. Right. <laughs> right. You signed up for something and you sent an email, right? And then something happens. Interesting. Uh, yeah, it's true. Like that literally that 10 seconds like of just pure just ah whatever has resulted in jason calacanis being on texting yeah it's like well that's funny because the reason i was initially on as a, the reason I, I was asked to be a call-in guest for this week at startups was because i sent an email to jason calacanis asking him uh, just what his thoughts were on Prezo, because he said a number of times that he was that he answered his emails, that people sent him questions all the time, and I said that'd be really interesting to find out what his thoughts would be on what I should do with it. And right. uh, so I sent him an email, and you know that's what happened. So this show, I think that we should we should uh, probably start off by mentioning our executive producer, who is Philip Monet. 
Oh, thank you, Philip. Nice. <laughs> so Philip gave us 50, 50 bucks. And uh, of course, Philip is uh, inventor of La Critique. <laughs> that um, is right. Oh, did he invent La Critique? Would he, well, he, he, do, he did because we, our, our first critique was of um, his site, myskillsmap.com. But did he coin the term, or, or I think I coined it, didn't oh, I? Oh no, yeah, we we coined it, but he was he was the kind of inspiration. Okay, inventor. Let's say Muse. Okay, <laughs> so he was the Muse, right? Maybe you coined it. We'll I'm give not him sure. partial credit. We'll give him partial credit for that. Uh, I, and I don't mind giving you credit for it. I don't know who who invented it. Actually, but. I have no idea who. Okay. Invented. So, um, but also because Philip's executive producer, we would also like you to check out myskillsmap.com, which is his website. That's his startup. Have a look at it. And uh, give some feedback about it on the comments. That would be cool too. And uh, yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting to hear an update um, on my skills map. So, Philip, why don't you um, you know write in the comments, give us a status report, tell us how it's going. So we just have two shout outs then. Um, one is Alexander Wilk for twenty bucks. Thank you very much, Alex, for that. That's awesome. Yeah, you're supposed to say thank you now, Jason. Oh, we both say it say at the same time. Yeah. I, I think one at a time is okay. I think you you thank and then I'll, I'll thank because otherwise okay. it's it's a little much, right? Well, all right. Well, then then there's the another shout out we have. We is speak from with one voice, don't we? Espen Otterson. No, that's a nice name. Ten okay. bucks. <laughs> Did you pronounce it correctly? <laughs> no, I've got it. Well, E S P E N Espen Espen Otterson. And what was his last name? Otterson. Otterson. Now, do o- they have uh, O T T E R S E N? Okay. Well, uh, well, thank you, Espen. Very much appreciated. Uh, it sounds does, like you're thanking Espen more than Alexander. No, I, I'm thanking everybody. Thank you, Alexander. <laughs> thank you, Philip. Thank you, Espen. And thank uh, you, Justin. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you. Well, now, do, uh, don't, all right. so, don't try and donate to us because our, our donation drive is closed and um, we haven't got around to, to creating a new one. For any have, new money. We haven't we done that, and then we, meaning you. Yeah, me. So basically, we, we set up our, our plan on um, Indiegogo uh, for 500 to, to try and raise that, and we actually managed to raise 780, which is cool, which is pretty much just enough to upgrade both of our audio audio kit. Because, no, just, just to clarify, what, what, did an audio kit cons- what does an audio kit consist of? Okay, well, we both got... I, I just think it's fair for people to know exactly what we spent the money on. Okay, okay well, we got... Um, uh, a mic port pro by C Entrance, which essentially is a very good an, um, audio digital converter, basically to USB. Um, it's real, real high quality. Which is and required because his USB mic plugged directly into a Mac picks up a ton of n- noise from the machine itself. It, exactly, yeah. A lot, exactly. Of, yeah okay, a lot of audio. Notes. All the ground, all the, the different audio, and all that stuff, right? Yeah. And that's 150 bucks for that that thing, and it is very, very professional and like. Prof- even though it's cheap, it's good enough that professional voiceover artists use it. That's actually how I found it through the voiceover forums. Right. right. And then the mic that we're using is basically a Shure microphone. I can't remember the model number off the top of my head, but it is pretty good. It's the kind of microphone that you'd use on stage to, if you were singing or maybe if you went to uh, Bikram Yoga, <laughs> the guys walking around with the mics there, they probably use Shures. It's, they're very rugged and they've got very good audio. And how much did that cost? 150 bucks. Okay. And those, and those are two, and then that's another the set of headset, uh, some, some headphones then, as well. And there's some Sony headphones for like 20 bucks or something, right? Yeah. And the whole point of them is, is that they're kind of big enough that they don't completely cover up you. They, they kind of go completely round your ears it's because you have to, because you've got this kind of heavy mic going over your ears, like a pair of glasses. If you use a normal headset, it kind of presses into your ears and hurts. 
Well, and, and, the, and the deal is, too, as you explained to me offline, is that for professional audio, you don't have like a headset. The, the, the earphones and the microphone are not attached. They're not right. the same system, right? Yeah. Which you explained to me about three different times when I kept asking you about why the hell. Yeah, you accusingly, accusingly, you're like, why? I don't, just, I don't just believe that, it. It just seems so ridiculous. I just don't understand why. But anyway, so that's, that's the reality of it. If you want a really good professional quality mic, you have to have a separate set of headphones and it's a separate sort of setup. Um, yeah. And so that's why. So those are the three pieces that make up the kit. And uh, in total, um, and that times two was pretty much, you know, 700 something. Yeah. Right. No, no. it wasn't completely. We haven't, I don't think we've completely used the money up. Well, don't forget that Indiegogo take 10%. Right. So, or a certain percentage anyway. And Indiegogo takes 10%. I talk about entities as if they are uh, plural. Why? What's wrong with that? Because it's incorrect. Okay. <laughs> like like Microsoft take... say, or I would say, yeah, instead of Microsoft, you know, you'll, 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 you'll say, um, I don't know, I can't even imitate it because it's hard, to, hard for me to say it, but you talk about them as they're plural as opposed to as an entity. So that so that's that's interesting. You Jason making another kind of uh, statement about Justin, and we had that on the last show, and people really liked that. Actually, they liked the uh, the kind of intimate chat that we had. You're speaking yourself in the third person now is that <laughs> is that what you're doing? Sweet. All right, that's gonna. <laughs> what did you think? What did you think? Were, were you hesitant about that chat? No. Well, let me think. I mean, you know, it's like. What, What's interesting is like when we record these podcasts, I mean, we, ha- we never know where they're going to go, right? right. They're not planned out, other than the fact that you and I each independently write down some notes of topics that we want to bring up. That's it. We don't even share them with one another, so we don't really know where the podcast is going to go. And usually we don't even get through a number of the topics. And we usually go on these digressions. So it's not till after the show that you, you know, that I'll be like, huh, that was an interesting show. (laughs) (laughs) Where did that one go? (laughs) Right. I mean, there's been a few that have just gone off in strange directions and sometimes it's worked out really well. But this last one was interesting. I was like, huh, you know, we talked a lot about, what did we talk about? First, I talked to you about- It was fear. It was really fear. And then, but what what was good was uh, one of, one of the, um, one of the, one of our listeners, um, ban- bit banter, yeah, from from bit banter. So he basically described that the interaction as like a boxing bout. So he said, Jason, Jason came out of nowhere and basically cornered you against the ropes, and then he was like punching you in the face and punching you in the gut and smacking you in the face, and then it was as if your trainer all of a sudden had a little whisper in your ear and said, "Hey, say this," <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden I came back at you and basically knocked you out for ten. <laughs> Oh, you, I threw in the towel. He said, "Threw in the towel." In the towel yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, you know, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I guess um, I think I think the more the more real the discussions are, probably the more interesting they are. Assuming that they're sort of on topic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I guess that's it. I, I don't know. I mean, sometimes it's so hard to tell what's going to be interesting and what's not going to be interesting. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm glad people liked it. I mean, in fact, it seemed like people we got a lot of comments that people thought it was the best of our discussion shows. Which is, which I, I think I said to you after I'd listened to it, I was like, that, that was strangely good. I, Cause I, I edited it. Right. And then I was like, that was a strangely good show. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm glad it turned out that way. I 
you know, I still think our best two shows are the two that did get recorded. <laughs> but, <laughs> you would do that. Maybe, I maybe know why. That's, but maybe that's just because, you know, it's like, you know how like these actors that have died at a young age and forever that we remember, they're like the great, they would have been the greatest actor ever. They were the shows that never were. You just can't, well, you just can't compare them because they don't exist, right? I mean, right. it's just the... Um, but yeah, well, that's great. I'm glad they, I'm glad it worked out. You know, in fact, I'm behind in responding to the comments because there was at least a half dozen or more comments that came in that were really long um, that were sort of talking about that show to some degree. So are you, do you, is there some kind of comment race thing going on here? Are you trying to be like even more responsive than me? No, I'm just trying to be, re- be respectful. You know, I feel like if people are taking the time to write a thoughtful comment that they deserve some kind of response and you do a half-assed job so like okay so let let, let me ask you this what happens when we've got like twenty thousand people listening what are you going to do then well yeah right i mean it doesn't scale completely but you know then you have to get even more sort of short with your comments you have to write really short pithy responses because you can't write paragraph long responses to every comment or do you just pick on like a couple of posts and respond to them so you make them, those people feel happy, but then everyone else thinks you don't give a crap. I don't know. See, I'm new to this whole thing, right? I mean, I, I don't, I've never had a blog before until recently. And, uh, you know, I don't really know quite what the right etiquette is for being respectful, but then also being sort of scalable. I mean, you obviously can't spend, you know, we can't spend 10 hours a week responding to comments. Right. And I'm unfortunately kind of a slow writer. It takes me a little while to write a comment, even if it's like three <laughs> lines. I have to think about it sometimes. But um, I don't know. Like when there's a couple of blog posts that I wrote that they got a lot of traction. Each one of those got like, you know, 100 or 150 comments. And I'm trying to respond to a lot You're of responding them. responding to each one? Not every one. I responded to a lot of them, but it was brutal. It was really Jason, brutal. Jason, you're like Santa Claus. You respond to every, every, every letter. Every, <laughs> every <laughs> child. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm, maybe it's, maybe I'm being silly or maybe no, you, no, 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 don't stop it. Uh, honestly, it's good. And, and I should, I should do it as well. And basically I'm, I'm kind of being not good by not doing that. And being I'm, lazy. I, I just wondered if you were doing it from a, from a kind of like a competitive, competitive point of view. Yeah. That's what <laughs> I was just trying to work out. <laughs> no, I mean, like, you never I'm, know with you. <laughs> I'm like, no, I, I'm just like, uh, I'm not, I'm not competitive in that way. Really. I, I'm just trying to, I feel like if we get, if people put the time and they write like a two or three paragraph comment, and especially if they're like asking questions or kind of trying to raise an issue yeah, that we need to respond, especially if they're addressing us directly. I mean, sometimes people write comments and they're sort of raising the issue in general to anyone on who's come, any of the other listeners, mm-hmm. right? And it's sort of a community discussion as opposed to, you know, hey, Jason, have you thought about X, Y, and Z? Then I'm like, well... I kind of have to respond to that, right? It's like not responding to an email. And I get kind of irritated myself when I send emails to people and I don't get responses. So, mm. you know, if someone I, writes I, a comment I, te- directed at me and they're asking a question, I feel, well, I should respond to that. We do get some bloody good feedback from uh, on those comments. I mean, I've had some excellent stuff about Plugio. Yeah, well, there's you know, some smart, we definitely have some smart listeners. So it's, it's a great mm. resource and it's, it's definitely interesting. And, you know, unfortunately, you don't always have enough time to follow up every everything that... Uh, people bring up but yeah it's it's really interesting about the kind of stuff that we learn from them sure Absolutely. so what do you want to what do you want to move on to next i've i've got uh a whole bunch of stuff to talk about plugio but i'm happy to move on to whatever you want to yeah, as well. why don't you go start go ahead well so i basically redesigned and professionalized plugio um 
pretty much there's there's kind of three core pieces of advice that I've been focus, focusing on. Uh, one of them is speaking to your customers. Um, speaking to my customers? No, not speaking to your customers. Basically speaking to one's customers. Right. And I can't remember the other two right now. <laughs> so we'll just focus on those. You're speaking so, to, okay. So basically speak, speak to your customers and find out why they're using your product. Right. Yeah, also known as customer development. Yeah, basically right. customer like Jessica Ma. Jessica Ma from Indonero. Yeah, she 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 took it to a whole new level. I felt. Like, yeah, I mean, we brought this up a couple times, but I think it's worth repeating. Jessica Ma, the founder of Indonero or co-founder of Indonero, sort of the face of Indonero. She during the Y Combinator program, she took upon herself to go and visit. She I think she said something like about three dozen um, users customers or users of Indonero and spend between an hour, an hour and a half sitting with them, asking them about the product, having them walk them through, talk about their needs, talking about, you know, how they, you know, whatever. Right. And she, she, she's something, she talked to something like between a hundred, five, uh, between 50 and a hundred additional customers for something in the neighborhood of an hour on the phone about the product as well. well. That's, that's a lot. That's getting a lot of data. That's really getting a, good understanding of what what people want need and don't like or whatever well i didn't really pitch it that way so what i did was i i basically asked people if they would like to be a case study and so basically they're they're, they're getting something out of it right rather than ju- me just kind of calling them up and I, I certainly don't have that number of people to talk to just the customer base isn't that big but from the from the case studies that i did ask i just kept on getting the kind of reoccurring themes of look the reason why it's good is because it just it's very easy to use and it saves me huge amounts of time, and it means that I can have a 24-7 presence without being online just kind of half an hour a day. So basically, I've, as well as kind of redesigning and professionalizing it, I've pitched it in that direction. And also, we were talking about um, Visual Website Optimizer. Uh, so I, I looked at their website and essentially have used their website, the, the kind of template layout of what they've done as the basis for what I've done, I'm sure that it's actually going to go in different, in a completely different direction once I've done my A/B testing, because this really is just the kind of first incarnation of it. In fact, when I showed it to you, you were like, "Hey, where's the other five versions?" Right. Well, you know, I uh, the if you if you're going to do A/B testing, the last thing you want to do is just take a shot at random for a page design, and then just do lots of little tiny tweaks around it. Right, um, because you're 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 going to find a global, I mean, a local maximum. What you want to do is try a lot of completely different looks and designs, and and then uh, iterate on those. Because it may turn out that you know you come up with some design, and yeah, you know you turn a three percent conversion into four and a half percent conversion, making twenty small adjustments. But if you had tried something, it was a completely different look and feel, um, completely different structure, and maybe it was up at seven percent. You had an analogy about someone blindfolded, like dropping him off. <laughs> okay, I'll, I made this up on the spot. Let's see if this it's makes good, sense. It's good. Okay. It's good. Okay, so I mean, this is very similar. The concept of A/B testing is similar to what's called directed search or uh, in genetic algorithms. Right. So in genetic algorithms, um, you know, it's just you could apply genetic algorithms to uh, A/B testing, really, and. So let's say that you have uh, 15 or maybe even 100 different features that you can adjust on that page, right? Mm-hmm. And the way genetic algorithms works, you would come up with maybe 20 or 50 different uh, parameter sets, okay? 
and uh, a parameter set being a different value um, for each one of those, you know, whatever, let's say the 20 features. Okay. And uh, the way genetic algorithms works is that you, you, you just create 20 of these random parameter sets. You evaluate to see how each one does. And then you uh, pick the best ones or some, some stochastic selection process to pick some combination of the best ones, kind of merge the results. And, uh, and you have like kind of a new generation. And you Is it kind of the- like bubble sort? Like the way you pick things by halves rather than sorting through <clears throat> them individually? No, it's, it's, more of a, it's more of like a stochastic. You use random selections of stuff. Okay. And, but, it, but what you do is, you, is you, you put selective pressure on the ones that do better. And the ones that do better, you merge them with other versions that do better. better. So you could... You could use genetic algorithms to direct a multivariate um, testing uh, approach. This is somewhat different to the the, the helicopter blindfolded thing. I'll, that I'll, you get, told to me I'll about get to that. I'll get to that. I'll get to that. So, so <laughs> okay. So here's an ex- here's what I was thinking. Like, what you might think is like if if I if you were dropped into let's let's say that um, you know I'm headquarters, right? And and you're like you're like my man on the street, right? And we're okay. like, okay, we want to find the highest point in all of L.A. Right. And our helicopter drops you randomly somewhere in LA and blindfolded. And, and I'm blindfolded, or the helicopter, yeah, not the you're helicopter. You're blindfolded. The yeah. helicopter has left you there. <laughs> right. Okay. And you call, and I'm on the radio with you, and I go, all right, you know, walk. Do you feel like you're walking uphill? And you're like, no, I'm walking downhill. I'm like, okay, we'll turn around, go the other way. And I'm like, you right. walk, you know, like, try and walk uphill. So you keep trying to walk uphill, and you're like, yeah, I'm uphill, I'm uphill, but no, it's flat again. And, and, and then I'm like, well, which do you walk? Can you continue walk uphill in any direction? Like, no, anywhere, anywhere I walk, it's going to be downhill. I'm like, well, that's their, our highest point. But, you know, we, if you had been dropped off some other place in LA, maybe you're at a very low point. Maybe you're like 50 feet above sea level. But if we had dropped you, you know, some other place, you could have been 500 feet or 2,000 feet above sea level easily. But because we just happened to start you randomly in that place, you know, that's as high as you were going to get. And that's like the equivalent of just coming up with some random design. You're like, oh, I think this is a good design. So the the analogy is, if if I understand you correctly, it's like every time you ask me to walk, it's like one one movement of this process, right? So instead of making those one movement, small tweaks, if you, if, if I was dropped in six different places, we'd have much more of a chance of finding high ground versus if, if we just tried to do six, six tweaks. Yeah. So what you could do is you could say, you know, five or 10 different, completely different versions, random spots. And then we, and then what all we're doing there is saying, let's tweak in those areas. But, you know, you could be dropped in Baldwin Park and Manhattan <laughs> Beach, but, you know, <laughs> Culver City. But, you know, if you're really lucky, you, you might have been dropped up in Angeles Crest. I like right? it. It's a bit, it's a bit clunky. It's something that we need to think about and refine to make it like into a, you well, know, better analogy. Really what you, you know, really what you need to do though, is that you need to, you, apply genetic algorithms to this right because that's that's the way you search massive parameter spaces um and and you um will and you prevent yourself from getting a local minimum you need, to, you need the traffic for that though you know you you kind of need to have the traffic talking about the traffic um okay so with the new site i put stumble upon to that to the new homepage, okay and the average amount of time that a stumble upon user spent on the homepage was one second <laughs> Wow, that's fast. That is fast. I don't so, think Clicky. I don't think Clicky, which is the analytics software I use. Yeah, they don't even measure anything less than ten seconds. The ten seconds is the minimum, so they're gone. So that yeah. was like basically a waste of ten bucks. <laughs> sending so those two hundred people. It didn't work there. at all. I mean, what, what did you? Okay, so explain explain to me what exactly you did in terms of using StumbleUpon. 
because I'm not really clear on what you did. Well, I, I just built the new site and I put the homepage in StumbleUpon, so plugio.com forward slash home, which is basically the main, the main web, the main page. And I just right. sent people to that page and specified marketing as the, um, as the niche and just, okay. it, there was no sticking power. It was, it was just nothing. It didn't turn into anything. Hmm. So well, I think that it's, that's just not a good approach. I think, I, okay. I mean, I, okay. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. I think you're jumping to conclusions. What did Ilya Lichtenstein tell us a couple weeks ago when we interviewed him? Most campaigns fail. You have yeah. to be willing to try lots of variations because that is, that's the dirty secret is most yeah. campaigns fail. So the, I tried once and I quit. That's, that's not, that's not. <laughs> well, I, I mean, the thing is, is that I Ten have bucks all... now. I'm out. <laughs> it doesn't work. Double pawns of failure. It won't work. <laughs> well, but you... I, I need to create new pages. I mean, I need to do that thing of, of trying out those, those different points of LA kind of thing. Well, so, maybe, maybe yeah. it's not just about, maybe it's not just about, um, that maybe it's about finding different, you said marketing, maybe it's, maybe it's about Twitter, maybe it's communication or different. They don't let you, they don't let you do that. They basically, they either choose for you or you you choose, and if you choose it wrong, they say, no, we're not allowing that to go. Okay. Well, what about, and you could also try sub, not just submitting the page, but also submitting, like you said, a, a, an, an article, a yeah. blog post about the power of Plugio, and, and then using that as a hook, and then people will read that, and some percentage of them will go through, and, and just like just like that worked for you a couple weeks ago when you wrote a big sort of sales letter about Plugio. I think I may, may try pointing to that one again, now with the new Plugio, because maybe the, maybe the issue was... Maybe they weren't sticking around and signing up because it wasn't the new site. I mean, talking about talking about people signing up and conversions, et cetera, et cetera, I kind of think that the new site now correctly targets the the correct people who are going to pay for it and buy it and get the most value out of it. The problem is, is that I don't have any traffic streams from that type of person going to Plugio. So basically, the whole conversion ratio is going to go out the window right now until I actually market to the correct people. Right. Well, I, I think you're just going to have to do a lot of experimentation, as, mm-hmm. as Ilya pointed, at, pointed out to us a number of times, that you're not going to get it right the first time. You're, you're going to have to try lots of things. And, and he said that himself, that you know he tried lots of stuff before he found, would find things that would work for yeah. any new product. And I think the same is going to go for you. You're, not only are you, are you new, not only have you not tried for anything else other than like one or two things, but you're new to whole, this whole process of, of, of getting traffic. Right. right. So he, I think even because he, he said even himself, even as an experienced sort of Internet marketer, he still and he, and he has a new product. He's still going to fail a lot before he finds something's going to work. Right. So just, just keep that in mind. Just you, know, you well, have yeah, that, that. But it's, it's also I mean, I, no, I, I do. And I, I kind of agree. But it's also very much about like I'm pitching I, I'm pitching it in the right way. And I know who th- I know who those users are. Now I need to get in front of the right eyeballs. So, for example, I've found a list of the top 100 small business blogs and a list of the top, you know, the top 100 small business podcasts. So I'm going to now, now basically start to get in touch with those people by email and basically pitch them, right, about Plugio because those are the right people to be sending it, sending to it. Okay, I have a couple questions for you. A couple of possibles. Now, there was a, it was a blog, I remember it was a, a woman who did a screencast like a year ago about Plugio on her blog. It was like a, it was like a, she was like a power Twitter user or something. Yeah. You remember that? Stacy Kinney, I think her name was. Yeah. Now, why don't you contact her and talk to her about 
you know, what the audience is and what other potential blogs might be. I mean, if she's doing that kind of thing, she sounds more like an ideal customer and she also sounds like that's who she's trying to communicate with herself. Well, so the thing is, the ideal customers, you can't say anyone's an ideal customer more than someone who actually is a customer, right? And so I've spoken to quite a few of them and they all basically have the same profile. Well, I understand, I understand that, but I mean, she's actually has, does she have an audience? I don't think she, has she very, I don't think she has a very big one, but it does bring us onto the point of um, basically moving towards uh, affiliates. And I do think that I should probably rework Plugio towards affiliates. And so someone like that would be very good. But the problem is, is that the price points don't work for affiliates right now. I will have to double the price points to actually make any money at it. Which I think, Ilya, and I think some other people pointed out that you really should raise the price on this if it's for business. You're pricing it. That's right. It's really for, it's really for, power, for businesses. Yes. And you've priced it at a consumer level. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think you need to rethink your pricing structure because if you priced it significantly higher, just like, you know, we talked to um, David Cancel Performable. I mean, they raised their price for, what was their initial price? Like 30 bucks a month or something? <laughs> yeah. They, their entry level price, and then it became 200 I mean, so I don't know if I could go that high. I mean, I don't know. Well, maybe not, but maybe you could make it significantly higher because they just kept trying raising it, right? Maybe you double it or, and then maybe double it again and double it again until the point doesn't work. But, you know, you, you have what, like a, how many, pay, a thousand paying customers or a hundred paying customers? If I had a thousand paying customers, that, that would be, that would cover my whole consultancy thing. Well, um, you have a hundred paying customers. I have a hundred paying customers, yeah. Right. So rather than getting a thousand paying customers, well, you got a hundred paying customers and they get paid, they charge 10 times more. <laughs> Okay, well, if I could do that, I'd be, I'd be okay. happy. You'd see Justin well, maybe, with a big smile maybe. on his face doing a Snoopy dance. <laughs> okay, well, maybe it's not 10 times more. Maybe, maybe it's, it's uh, three times more, three or four times more, and then you just you know, double or triple your size of your audience for the next year. I mean, there's more than one way to get there. I mean, following uh, David Council's thing would be to, like, first of all, start doubling it. But I guess what I have to do is, even, the, even to do that, I still have to get get in touch with those 100 small business blogs and get those people's eyeballs in front of that page, right? So it's, yeah. it's that there's kind of like a sequence of events that I need to do. Like one of them is yeah. to get it up so that, so that I can have different pricing plans because once again, I don't have that infrastructure built into Plugio right now. It's only, got one con- it's only got the concept of one set of pricing plans right now. So I need to upgrade it to be able to do that. Then once I do that, then I need to kind of reach out to those people. And I thought, Small business podcast could be a kind of a good approach as well, because uh, you know I'm used to podcasting. <laughs> yeah, well, I, 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 it seems like there's got to be people out there who are sort of Twitter evangelists for business. Yeah, there there has to be sort of a an ecosystem of people like that who do that, and those are the people you need to be talking to because not only are they would they be potential customers, they would be evangelizing the use of a product like Plugio right. to their, the people who pay, who listen to them speak or read their blogs or buy their books or whatever. So you need to try and find those people, I think. It's funny. It's, it's kind of scary for me because I'm, I've got a, a lot of experience at talking to consumers, right? What yeah. I don't have a lot of experience at is talking to, you know, B2B, talking to other businesses. So I'm, kind of good with consumers but with businesses it's kind of like well they're both mm. people they're all people yeah what's no. the difference well the, I, it, it is just a kind of a different approach like you you know it's like businesses can pay a lot more because essentially they, it's like they take it from their tax kind of they're thing. easier customers because you know it's it 
you know, I can tell you even from when I'm paying out of my business account versus my personal account, the way I feel about putting something on a credit card is different. Yeah, I'm much, I'm much more sensitive to buying anything that's personal. I, I, I don't know why. I mean, it's irrational to a certain degree, but because it's, ta- you know, it's like pre-tax dollars, right? Well, yeah, I mean, that's part of it. But also, I mean, it's not like it's free. I mean, you just don't pay, you may not pay taxes on some percentage of the stuff that you're buying, but that's it. But, but also these businesses, I mean, it really isn't for the most part, depending on the size of the business, their money probably, right? If you're talking to a 20 or 30 person company or a 50 person company or bigger, I mean, it's not like it's, you're talking to the founder most of the time, you're talking to some marketing person and it's not their money, they have a budget and they're much less sensitive about their budget. Oh gee, I don't know if I can put $50 a month on for this marketing budget. I mean, they don't think that way. That's silly. I kind of like to spend money on the business because I feel like, okay, I'm buying this thing. This is going to help my business. So hopefully it's going to help my business grow. Yeah. Well, yeah. my first company, you know, the the Renaissance Research Group, where we were selling these, uh, these, um, you know, like trading simulators to banks and trading firms. Yeah. And uh, you know, our um, licensing price was uh, thirty five hundred dollars per user license. Okay, that's and, that's high. That's uh, a lot, right? But it was nothing to a lot of them. It was nothing because it, it created a lot of value for them because, you know, we were trying to get these these uh, option traders up and productive and able to make money as traders and more importantly, not lose money, not make stupid mistakes. So, you know, if, if, if it prevented them from making one stupid mistake or allowed them to find a trade or a series of trades that they would normally trade, they would they would make their money back, in, you know, in one one trade. So it was a no brainer. But you know, you, you know, you really like $50 for these people a month. I mean, there's nothing if they're actually doing, if they're creating some business value out of it. So you just have to think about it in terms of the kind of value they're getting out of it. I mean, and at the end of the day, they're just people. I mean, we, I remember when we were doing this, I was like 25, 26 right. running around and, you know, I was giving demos to AB and AMRO and, uh, Deutsche Bank and, you know, all these big banks as well as these big f- trading firms and stuff. And, you know, guess what? They're just people, you know, they're just sitting there listening going, huh, tell me about it. So does this stuff work? Is it going to help us? Yeah, it is. Here's why it's going to work, you know? Um, I don't know. I, I wouldn't, I, I think it'd be easy for you. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Thanks. So also with, with the redesign, uh, I've got this, uh, what do you call it? Stock art of this kind of guy on the front page and pretty much everyone who's seen it so far said they don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just this kind of friendly, smiley guy. And I'm just wondering, am I a genius or am I just wrong? Well, why would you be a genius if everybody hates it? <laughs> well, because I, I, think that, I think that maybe they do hate it, but my, my gut feel is, is that it's, it's a good image because it puts people at ease and it makes it feel kind of friendly. Even, yeah, maybe so, it's, so it's like, but... some, you know, sometimes you, you don't necessarily like something, but it still signals, sends a signal your way. That's kind of well, actually here's, good. Here's the thing. So, you know, I talked to Lance Jones, who is going to come on our show in January and do a sort of comprehensive review of all of the analytics tools on the market. Oh, yeah. And explain to us. And what's interesting is it's not like they're all the tools do the same thing. Like you, you there are three according to him, there are three basic questions you need to ask and different tools answer different questions. Mm-hmm. And depending on what you need and which question you're asking and also what your budget is, there are certain you know, pluses and minuses. So we'll go all into all that um, with him. But I had, when I had a conversation with him a week or so ago about the subject of A-B testing and, and I, mentioned he, I mentioned that about how you had designed the page and asked me what I thought 
And he was like, yeah, that's ridiculous. He's like, in our group, if anyone <laughs> does something like that, like, hey, I designed this page. What do you think? We're like, don't ask us a stupid question. Test it. It's like the worst thing. Don't ask us what we think. Do you like it? It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. It's, that's, I mean, isn't that interesting? I mean, that's so freaking different to how I've worked for the last 15 years. I mean, every, <laughs> you know, like every new business, every new thing, you turn around and you say, hey, what do you think? And people say, ah, I don't like, I do like. Whereas this is just yeah. so... It's almost dispassionate, right? It's it's like well, yeah, you're really you're trying to get objective, right? It, it, another way of saying it is you're being objective as well as opposed to subjective. You're not just asking what your friend or your wife thinks. You know, you're 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 asking the market what it thinks, but you're but by asking, but you're only asking the important question, which is, are they doing what you want them to do, which is sign up or or, or pay for the product or whatever, right? Yeah. So I and and I think the, another thing I think that you do a lot and i think probably all of us do this but i notice you do a lot is that you'll get two or three data points and you'll form an opinion right oh yeah well i talked to so and so and sebastian likes it and georgie likes it i'm like well what the hell does that mean two people and me and i like it you know that's three people that's not statistically significant it doesn't mean anything no right? that's true that's true but you do this i mean we everyone does that it's I don't difficult do, not I don't to do, do that. that i don't do anything wrong Justin, <laughs> everything I do is right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 and optimal. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you, what I'm just saying is that you, you know, you want to be more data driven, and you want to make sure when you do make opinions, like you want to have some a little more statistical significance. So if you're going to say, well, I'm not going to go and visit. 30 or 40 customers and I'm not going to talk to 50 to 100 customers on the phone. I'm going to do case studies. I'm like, well, don't do just three case studies. Right? Because right, that's, right. That could, that's not statistically significant. You, it could turn out that the next five people you talk to say something completely different. You're like, oh, whoops. Yeah. <laughs> that isn't true at all. Because I know a couple of times we've, like, we've had some feedback and you're like, oh, man, someone said this. And like one person came in and made a comment and does that mean that we're doing something wrong? I mean, it could be just kind of a random outlier. You know, you need, you need more, more data. You need to talk to more people. Okay, just to be clear, we've had the conversations coming the, the opposite way as well. But anyway, <laughs> I don't want to get into an argument about it. <laughs> All right, well, let's, let's move on. What else? Let's, let's, let's do something else. You go, come on. You bring something up. Um, okay, let's see. I got a couple things. Um, so I, I got an e interesting email today from um, Peter Christensen, who's been a longtime listener. Okay. And he basically said, I mean, he basically said that my my rates, my consulting rates, are ridiculously low at hundred dollars an hour. Right. That he's appalled. I think was the way he put it. That someone with my experience and skill level is, is charging hundred dollars an hour. He's like, yeah. I'd, he's like, I'd assume hundred dollars an hour for like a reasonably experienced developer, right? And uh, you know. I would have thought, well, maybe I, I, I wouldn't have maybe given it quite as much credence, except that last week I was having um, lunch with Pat Maddox, who's, who's become a friend of mine um, over the past month or so. He's a, um, a Ruby uh, on Rails coder. Yeah. And he lives down the road, and he initially contacted me because he had read my, um, uh, my blog post called Bootstrapping a Startup with Three Kids, that thing. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway... Take a, his, I think I probably told you, so I won't have you take a guess. He charges $160 an hour. 160 He's like 26. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but is, he, is he okay for, for that to go out online? Yeah. I actually, actually emailed him and asked if he... Uh, he was like, yeah, but just to make sure you, you uh, give him my URL. <laughs> <laughs> 
So yeah, it's it's Pat Maddox, P A T. So he's he's twenty six and charging one hundred and sixty, and you are fifty two and charging a hundred. I'm like one hundred and eighty, and I'm charging twenty five bucks an hour. <laughs> no, no, he's, no, we're both. I mean, basically, this goes back to the whole existence proof thing, right? So we we both kind of had well, an idea when I, of when I first met you, you were charging fifty dollars an hour. Well, that was because I just moved over to the. That was just because I just moved over to America, and and I just didn't have any kind of base here whatsoever, right? So. I, I mean, I was just finding people off Elon. You were shocked when I was charging, when I charging a hundred. You got really frustrated. Well, you oh. know what it is. You know what it is. It's because as well in the UK, I was char. You know, like for example, sixty bucks an hour is pretty good in the UK. Sixty okay. pounds an hour, because yes. obviously sterling is is higher. So yeah. it kind of felt like fifty bucks was was kind of good when I got it. But right. then, yeah, once once I'm I'm kind of comparing it to you, and I'm like, hey, that sucks. No, right. well, the well, the pound is a you know is worth a lot more than a dollar, right? Right. Well, we're quick. Wait, you're right that a pound is worth worth less is worth a lot more than a dollar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so basically, when I'm because I came from a, I think I was only sixty pounds an hour in the UK. So then I came to America, and my first job that I got from uh, through Elance or whatever, Odessa, can't remember. That's your uh, first problem because you're competing against people in third world uh, countries. Yeah, I know. But so that's why I was kind of happy to get look. I mean, I just moved over, right? I didn't have um, my papers in order, you know? Right. So I was just trying to basically get work. So to get some work for 50 bucks an hour at that time was good. But then when I met you and you were like 100 bucks an hour, I'm like, hey, oh, okay, right, fair enough. Now I need to get in with the in crowd. Well, well no, that wasn't your reaction. Your reaction was <laughs> like, oh, crap. Like you were all depressed that you're were, you were like, well, how do I get a new contract or how do I get out of these contracts? Because you're like, you're, all of a sudden you immediately felt depressed about how much you're getting paid, which is funny because the amount of money you make and how happy you are about that is very much, I mean, psych- this has sort of been proven psychologically, is very much based on what the people around you, your peers are making. Right? That, that, that is totally true. You know, and, totally I know true. we've talked about this before, but I think it's funny. So, like, if you're making uh, 100000 or let's say you're making a quarter million dollars a year, right? But everyone else around you is making three quarters of a million or $2 million a year, you feel like a pauper, right? You feel like it. And, but again, you could be making 60 grand a year and everyone else around you is making like 20 and you're like the king. Right, that's you're right. large, and that's very much the case. And I, I'll give a perfect example. I remember Kaz, uh, my friend Kaz. He was working with this trading firm, and he was making like you know three hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. He's working like six hours a day, and he most of the time when he was trading, he was like playing chess online, and he was like he, he was all pissed off because these other guys were getting paid like a million dollars a year. And I'm like, Kaz, <laughs> you're making three hundred grand a year and not doing anything. He's like, Yeah, I know. How you did you feel about Kaz earning that much money? I was. I was well. I was fine with him. I because you know I was doing my own trading operation. We were trying to get it up and running, and and working. Um, but I was just. I mean, I was glad for him. I'm not. I wasn't like jealous or something. I just thought he was ridiculous. I was like, you're not. <laughs> you're not even working hard. You're barely even doing anything. The computer's doing most of trading for you. You're making three hundred plus a year, and you're unhappy about it. Come on. But that's just the case. It was a perfect example of that. Well, anyway, so I went back back to um, you know freelancing rates so mm-hmm. so pat's pat is and i just want to get out his url so it's p-a-t-m-a-d-d-o-x patmatics.com he's a rails expert he i guess he's he's one of the the core contributors to rspec which is a big testing framework for rails and he speaks at a lot of conferences and so i asked him i go when, when he because we, we were having lunch when we were talking about this and i basically practically choked on my taco <laughs> he said 160 <laughs> i'm like what i'm like well what in the hell made you think that you could charge 160 dollars right 
I mean, I, I, and he's like, well, he's like, well, I just worked backwards. I said, well, I, I only want to work 80 hours a month. And how much money do I need to make? You know, so I only have to work 80 hours a month and try to be $160 an hour. And I'm like, huh. that's no way to price, right? I mean, well, clearly silly. it is a way to price because it's I mean, worked it's like, for him. Well, yeah, you could be like, well, I'm going to work five hours a month, so I'm going to have to charge, you know, $1,000 an hour. So that's what I'm going to charge. But the reality is it worked. He had in, in the, 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 the real answer is that he had spent the time investing in his credibility and his authority within the community that he was a Rails expert. And if you want a Rails expert, then you're going to hire a guy who speaks at conferences and is a core contributor to one of the major, um, you know, uh, Rails, you know, software. There's also something about charging more that makes people feel more confident in you. It makes them think that you're better, right? It's not, it's it's almost like, well, look, there's no way this guy's going to be charging that much unless he's shit hot. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's another psychological, you know, cognitive bias. Absolutely. And so, and I think David Performable, of uh, David before David Cancel Performable was telling us about that. He got much better customers when they charge more. They had people who are much less price sensitive, had a more sophisticated understanding of, you know, what it takes to make software work and improve it and, and all these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And I think the same thing goes with the clients. If a client's paying you, you know, $150 an hour and they know you're an expert, then they're going to leave you to make the right decisions probably. But if you're making, you're charging 30 bucks an hour, they're going to probably be micromanaging you and thinking you're a numbskull and making sure you're doing stuff the right way. I mean, I'm just speculating, but that there's probably some truth to that. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that he's charging $160 an hour and he's 26. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> I'm getting underpaid. And then I, and then, uh, so you're feeling the same, you're feeling the same way that I, I did when I first spoke to you and I was earning 50 and you were earning a hundred. Yeah. Well, absolutely. You, you, you obviously had, I absolutely had the same reaction, right? Like Jesus, you know? And so I started thinking, well, here's the deal. I mean, when you're in a current contract and you've negotiated a rate, you can't just immediately say, well, guess what? <laughs> My rate's going up. Mm-hmm. But what you can do is you can give people a certain amount of notice, like, you know, 30 days or 60 days. I'll grandfather the infrastructure period of time, but, you know, um, my other rates are this high. But if, if it is hard to raise your rates if you don't have any other clients paying that rate. Like what you want to do is say, let's say you're making 100, you know, you charge $100 an hour, you have a couple contracts, you're like, well, look, I think I can get 150 And maybe within a month or so, you get 150 and Therefore, and then you start getting overbooked. So then you can go to the hundred dollar client and say, "Listen, you know, I can't, I can't allocate a lot of time to this unless you want to pay, you know, my hundred fifty dollar rate because that's my new rate. I'll give you thirty, sixty days to upgrade. If not, we'll figure out a way to transition me out and somebody else in who can afford, right?" Mm-hmm. You'd be professional about it, and you give them time to do it. But what you don't want to do is say, "Well, you only have one client." You go and say, "Well, I deserve you know fifty or hundred percent raise," and they're like, "Screw you!" And then you're <laughs> like, "Why?" <laughs> well, they're like, "Well, why?" And you're like, "Well, I deserve more. I can get more." And they're like, "Well, I don't believe you." So let's see, you get more. Well, it's funny because that 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 is precisely what happened with me and my fifty buck client. I was like, "Look, I I'm." Seriously, I'm just going to have to go out and get a $100 contract now. And they were like, no way, you're never going to get that. That's never going to happen. A week later, I had it. (laughs) And I'm like, hey, 
Air off exactly. It. Well, you got to test the market. You got to you know do it. And it's like not you know maybe not everyone can charge really high rates. You have to be able to back it up not only with skill, but it's not a matter of just having skill. It's it's demonstrating in some public way that you are a true expert or an authority in an area, or your what you do is in is in very limited supply and high demand. Like for instance, you know maybe I you know iPhone development might still be in that category, right? There's right. certain things that's just like, look, you know, we need an iPhone app built that does all this stuff, and we can't find anybody. And yeah, we'll pay 150 dollars an hour because that's what that's where the demand, demand supply um, equation works out to. But maybe there's other things like, hey, you know, I'm a VB coder. Like, great, well, you, you know, going rates 20 bucks an hour. <laughs> hey, did you take any of those iPhone um, projects? No, so you I had have a few come your way, didn't you? I have two that I. Um, they're both sort of on like. You know, I, I, you know, I went back through, you know, you go through a lot of back and forth, right? And then eventually you submit a bid and then it goes through like an approval process through like, and both of them are with these actually book publishing companies. Mm-hmm. They're both based on the authors or an agents for the authors or whatever contacted me. And so it goes through, you know, it's big companies, right? It's not like one person or a couple of people sit down and yay or nay at it kind of goes through some process. But the reality is the problem with me right now is I am completely overbooked. Because okay, you've got I, so much, uh, so much kickback from that blog post about the Google acquisition. No, well that, no. Okay. Actually I had a lot of people contact me in regards to doing different like strategic partnerships or different types of things with Prezo. Mm-hmm. You know, I had like at least a half dozen people say, Hey, you know, I do X, Y, and Z. I think there's a, there's an opportunity that we could do something together where we, you know, that could be very profitable and, no and that's money. fine. Yeah. You know, a lot of it is like, well, I might have a little bit of money, but the reality is what that's going to be is a very speculative thing. That's going to take a lot of my time and you know, who knows? And I already have a speculative thing. It's called Prezo. I mean, I'm sorry, App Ignite. Right. And App Ignite is my speculative endeavor. I don't need other speculative endeavors. And I'm kind of just like, I'm over Prezo. Right. I just kind of over it. I don't really even, it's not like fun for me to work on it. Right. Right. So anyway, I'm totally overbooked from clients but these other clients were things that came through a variety of different channels so one of them is um for a company like i responded to a query on uh, the bar camp um, email list oh yeah and i just responded saying hey you know i built a, a forum i built some forum software for that for prezo um and someone was asking about hey i got a client need some forum software and i just said oh, by the way i built it if they're interested you know I, you know, I do freelance consulting and then I was contacted by another company and they said, Hey, you know, we'd like to talk to you. And so and now a contract has, has come out of that, but that's like a year later. It took like a year. It was just one of these things that's kind of in the background <laughs> and you know, it was weird. Right. And then another one is I'm, I'm doing consulting work for Uber, which is, um, you know, it's Travis Kalanick's, uh, company oh, who, yeah. who we, um, we interviewed him back, I don't know, six months ago or something. Yeah. It's called. It's a great interview. Travis sold his company Red Swoosh to Akamai for some ungodly sum, and he's now an angel investor. He has a you know dozen or so angel investments up in Silicon Valley, and so um, you know he, Uber is is one that he sort of co-founded with another guy, and it's really sort of you know doing well and taking off. And he's been pinging me like, yeah, dude, I need your help <laughs> now. So um, I'm jumping on and um, doing some consulting work for him, but he's like all you can eat. Like I need as many hours as you can. In fact, I'm getting pings from him right now. Like, you know, 
Like, and so that's wants. on top of your other three contracts. So there's, yeah, and there's another contract that, you know, been working on for a long time um, for the client, a, a sort of an Ajax kind of WYSIWYG project for designing invoices, invoices. And then there's the, uh, like I said, there's other one, the form stuff. And then um, this Are you getting Uber. any time on App Ignite right now? The problem is, yeah, it's just been exhausting and I haven't been getting it in as much time because I'm just, I'm trying to service these clients. And, oh, here's the other thing, right? With, um... With contracting, and, and maybe you should talk a little bit about this too, is the feast and famine cycles you go through. Yeah, it is, it is like that. So I was like triple or quadruple booked from in the spring and summer to a point where I was just, I was working my butt off. I mean, I was making a lot of money, and, which was great because I was paying off debt, you know, making cash. That was all great um, because before then I had also dug kind of a hole. So we had to pay some back taxes, pay off some debt. But you went, then you ended up in complete famine and you were like on the phone to me and like, come on, we, we, help me, you know, let's get something sorted. And we were starting up the Adaptix consultancy and we were looking to try and get some work coming in. And, um, but that didn't last for that long. I mean, you, you had, I don't know, like, what was it? Three weeks a month? No, that was longer. I was like two and a half, three months. I didn't have much of anything. I had like one contract and it was sort of limited, you know, the number of hours. And you so, got some good work done on Epic Night though. You made some good progress on Epic Night. Yeah. And, you know, but then, but I drained all my, I drained the bank account. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, Sandy was getting really stressed because she's keep telling me like every day is we're running low. We're almost out of money. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, right. You better get something fast. You better send an invoice out. You better do something. And, uh, you know, and, and then like everything, what happens is a couple of the smaller things came in, the contracts came in and then Travis contacts me about Uber. Like we had, I had been talking to Travis, but then he's like, let's get going now. Like let's get you know started immediately. And that's a great contract because it's a really fun project and he's a good friend and it's as many hours as I can potentially even do. And in fact, I even pulled Guyone in to do some consulting. Oh, fantastic. Help. Because Guyone has been wanting to do, you know, maybe... 10 hours of consulting a week um, just to supplement his, his uh, salary that he makes at his job. Yeah. And, and he's in, he's in Oslo. And I said, well, here, I said, this is a perfect, perfect, perfect one because um, it's going to be JavaScript based. I'll tell you about that one in a minute, but um, yeah. So anyway, bottom line is I have, I don't have any time. I'm back to. So it's interesting. I, I'm, I'm actually curious about this show. What, what people are going to think about this show. Cause this show has totally been about us very little about um, just the tech world. It'll be really interesting to see how this one goes down. Yeah, we'll see. Well, let's talk a little tech. So yeah. in, the, in, in, the, in the Uber, um, you know, and I, I talked to Travis and I said, look, what can I, what can I talk about <laughs> publicly because about Uber because we're working on some cool stuff and you know, I, ten, I have a tendency just to talk openly about stuff. And he's like, yeah. He's like, as, hey, well, so this is one thing. He's like, yeah, tell whatever you want, but just say, you know, go to, uh, you know, um, jobs at uh, uberapp.com as <laughs> they're hiring. He's like, they're looking for people. Oh, just so me, send an email to jobs at uberapp.com. No, Uber, it's, go to, um, if you are a shit hot developer and uh, I think go to uberapp.com and, and they have a jobs section. And, uh, you know, one thing that's interesting about uh, them, like they're doing a lot of Python and Ruby and they've got some PHP and JavaScript. And it's just like, they're all over. And you know, the, thing is, the good thing about uh, Travis is he's very technically astute. So he's like, I don't think he cares so much what your background or what language you are, just as long as you're really good. Hmm. You know, because I had talked to him about... Um, uh, another friend of ours, I don't want to bring up his name because I didn't ask him beforehand, but 
And I said, look, this guy is great developer, really smart, but he's a Java. He's like, I don't care. Who cares? Right. Right. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're a smart developer. It doesn't matter. You'll be up to speed in a week or two. So, um, yeah, I would encourage you to apply. Just make sure you uh, say Jason sent you. <laughs> so, or Tech sent you or something. I but, will. Um, I'll, I'll apply right away. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, um, and they're up at San Francisco. So, what Uber is, is, and I'll talk about the technology behind this, is it's a, they have an iPhone and an Android app where if you, and it's only currently in San Francisco, but you can go on the, you open up the app and it shows a map and it'll show all the lemos that are available in the area, and, and you say, I want to pick up, right? I, I want to be picked up by a limo, and the, and the nearest one will be dispatched to come pick you up, and you'll see an ETA, like, oh, ETA, four minutes. They're, like, you know, 2.5 miles away, and you'll see it moving on the screen coming to get you, right? <laughs> and and you'll, it'll have your credit card. You know, when you log a separate account, it'll have your credit card. You don't tip the driver. It just gets set, and it's, like, pretty reasonably priced, and you know, you, you say, well, why don't you get a cab? But sometimes it's a pain trying to find a cab or wait for a cab. And if it's late or in an area where there aren't a lot of cabs or it's a rainy day or maybe you're on a, you know, on a date or it's a special evening and you're like, you know, screw the cab, man. Let's take a limo, right? But you can just do it right there on the spot. So the thing is taken off. I mean, it is, it is exploding. And so the first version of their software, which sort of their web service, which would route these... Um, what do what was called their dispatching system mm-hmm. was written in a very a real a very sort of like proof of concept way that wasn't meant to scale. So yeah, so let me explain how this worked. So you so you have the the drivers in all of these um, lemos. So, so the lemo services register with Uber. Okay, and they have like I don't know how many. They got a ton of different limo services. So some are big and have like a few uh, have you know hundreds of cars, and some are small and have maybe a couple of few cars. Okay, and they register with Uber, and Uber takes a cut off the top. Okay, and so when a a, a car goes on, you know, one of these limousines that are registered say, okay, they're on shift, like they're available for dispatching from Uber. Yeah, they they have an iPhone or Android. I think it's just an iPhone. Um, in their car that Uber gives them that has the app pre-installed and they just says, I'm on staff. And that connect, and that pings the server and says, okay, you know, driver logged in there and it shows here's their here's GPS, there's location, they're ready to go, right? So it shows up in the system. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, a customer app would say, okay, you open up your app, you say, I want to get picked up. So you see the customer app would ping in. So that repeatedly pings in like every five seconds or something. And like the driver app pings in like every four seconds or something. And so they're constantly pinging the server. And what happens is, you have all of these cars and all these people, but everything pings the server and it just gets written to a database and the drivers are like tables in the database or records in a, in a table and it just gets updated, right? So everything is like just hitting the database over and over and over again. There's no persistent program. Interesting. And I was like, I was like, that's not going to scale. That's not how you want to do something like no. that. So I said, here's what you want to do. I think for first version is we build this using Node.js. So we have a we have a we have a program running constantly, which will have you know a a list of all the driver objects and all the client objects that are currently logged in, right? So we know their exact status, their location, all the information. It's just in a it's just an object in 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 the program, right? So you're using and, com- Comet to basically keep the connection open. You don't even have to use Comet, right? But the, but but so when I when, when let's say let's say you do let's say you don't even do Comet. Let's just say the thing just pings every four or five seconds. Right. Okay. okay. And it, instead of going and hitting the table and looking up, going, okay, well, here's the driver ID, bringing up the it's table. It's just an object in, in the web server, basically. 
it, yeah, it's just an object in the program that's always running, right? Okay, yeah. It's just like how I was doing trading programs. I mean, every time a stock quote came in, I didn't freaking look no, up. No, you don't do an update. It's just, it's so basically, it's just all running in RAM, and it's just real yeah. fast and nice and nice and quick. Yeah, yeah so that we're going to do Yeah, I was like, so that way it's really fast, and it'll be very scalable, and in the in the business logic, the workflow will be much simplified and you don't have all these crazy queries and you have all this database stuff you have to worry about because, you know, you write to the database every time, but you really don't query it. The only thing that's going to be querying it is if, you know, a, uh, a, somebody logs in um, or the analytics um, or what he calls his God view. <laughs> you like can right. look at everything, like you have a control panel and you kind of, it's like your, it's like your air traffic controller, right? You can see the whole city and see, you know, all that, all the limos and all the people. So anyway, so it, I'm, I'm using Node.js for it and I had never used Node.js, but I, I immediately realized like Node.js will be the simplest, fastest, best way to get this thing up and scalable quickly. So how's yeah. it, how's that working out for you? What are you thinking of Node.js? Well, I like it. I mean, it's simple. You know, what's funny thing about Node.js is it's like it's like nothing, right? I mean, it's just it is. It's just it's just like an empty page that you put JavaScript in, right? I mean, it's not like well, it's like a bunch. It's not like there's a whole lot to learn. So essentially, what Node.js for any of our listeners who aren't familiar, it uh, it what it is is it allows you to run JavaScript server side, but it allows you it, um to but it runs everything asynchronously. So there's nothing blocking, because as it turns out that it's way easier to, to scale servers that run asynchronously as opposed to ser- that are sort of run as an event loop like Nginx and, th- and, and things like that and as opposed to things like Apache or these other services that every time there's a connection comes in, they spawn off a process or a thread right. and each one of those processes is blocking. Now, it's fine if you have a normal web service where they don't need to, there's no central program that needs to have everything connected Right, and you can, but but especially when you have things that need to be connected, like in sort of a real time system, like this, like this, this dispatcher is closer to a real time system. So, so what, anyway, so what do you do? How do you kind of share the objects? Well, it's just like a, you know, it's just one program, right? And it just has an event, like you know, on HTTP request, and I just go in, and it's an XML message or a JSON message, and but I what, just no, I know, but what I'm saying is, if if you create an object in memory. Is that automatically shared from what from one connection to another connection? So there's like, only one thread. There is there's only one thread of execution. There's one main thread. Everything is just on the main event loop. Really? So so no so threads. basically, a variable in that in that event loop in that main thread is just accessible to everyone. Right. It's all it's all one thing. So it comes in. It what happened is it's just like in the browser where you like on you know page load or on a button click or on mouse huh. over whatever. Those are events. You just deal with the event. So I say on you know on uh, you know HTTP request right. And so some data comes in and you just you can either keep it open if you want or you can write to it or and even write to it and keep and keep it open like a comment version or you can just write to it and close it like a normal. Okay. So what know. about so basically do you have to do, do your own locking then when a million people. Open up There's the same no locking. Page. No, no. So here's what you do: is you you never do blocking. Okay. So right. all your database access. So if you're going to hit a database, let's say you were going to query a database, you would write the query and then you would execute it and then you would say call this function when you get back with the results. Like you can't wait on it because it'll block everybody. Okay. Everything so so what what happens if you're basically like you've you've got three or four people looking at the same object in memory and and updating it? How do you deal with that? Well, it only comes through one at a time, right? Like, you know. You know, just like when you, um, you know, on your browser, right? I mean, everything gets serialized and kind of ordered, right? You never have two button clicks at the same time. The one is going to be before the other one. It's all going to be, you know, 
being lined up, right? It's only so, one. So that isn't asynchronous. That's the opposite of asynchronous. No, it, I mean, the air, I all thought asynchronous was when a, mon- a bunch of different things happened at the same time. No, a, a, okay, synchronous, okay. Asynchronous means that, like, I'm going to do something and I'm going to hear back later. Like, you know, when you do the XHR, you know, like you're going to send something to the server and you say, okay, let me know when you get back. Like, you don't okay. wait on your XHR to return, right? Okay. Yeah. Because otherwise your whole web page would lock up and your people would click on like, what the hell's going on? Because the server might not get back to you for like 200 milliseconds and the, the page gets non-responsive and it seems like it's broken. So you just wait an event loop like, you know, or you just say your callback function, like, let me know when the, the post or get request is done. Okay. And this is the same way with this. You just, you, 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 your, your real simple logic is, is, you know, happens within a function. But if you're going to do anything like go out to a web service or read or write something to a database or write something to a file you do not wait for that thing to return. You, you say, just, you g- give it a function and you say, call this function when you're done. You deal with it then. No, I get that. But what the part that I'm not getting is like, let's say we've got a million people connecting to this page at the same time. Are you telling me that it queues up all a bit, all million people and sends them through in, in one after the yeah. other? Or yeah, does- exactly. Everything happens, it happen, everything gets ordered, right? They're not separate threads. Everything happens one, everything gets ordered. Weird. Yeah. Mm. So it's really powerful. I mean, you know, it's in this. Uh, there's a really good talk that Ryan Dahl, the creator of Node.js, gave a, a Google Google talk. You know, go go to Google Video and watch. It's like an hour long talk, which is really good. Yeah, and he's, he he explains it really well, and um, it's just it's really cool. I mean, it's and of course, Guyon Guyon and I, our JavaScript is I think both of our like favorite languages, a uh, favorite language. Mm-hmm. I mean, we both we both know C plus plus and C sharp and PHP and all this other stuff, but JavaScript is so fun and so fast. I can code mm-hmm. so damn fast in it, and um, the fact that you can write really performant server side code in JavaScript is really really fun. And you know the because it's built on top of of Chrome's V eight JavaScript engine. Which is blazingly fast. So this thing, this stuff is getting really close to like Java, you know, .NET speed in, on a scripting language because it's because the V8 engine has like a JIT compiler, mm-hmm. right? So it's really fast and it's really simple. And one of the couple of the big benefits, not only we have scalability, um, you know, much, you know, you're able to scale many orders of magnitude higher than they can with their current solution. But also, it just makes the the code much simpler. It's all just there, right? It's just not like all these crazy queries and all this, all these different PHP scripts and Python scripts and stuff that's being called in cron jobs and all this other BS. That's interesting. Yeah. So, do you think that, um, for example, I don't know, like a system like Plugio could be easily and completely built on Node.js? Sure. I mean, anything could be. You know, and here's one one thing that's kind of interesting is. Yeah, you could use Node.js just like you'd write any backend. You could use Java or Rails or PHP or Python, whatever you want, right? They'll have little different models, and they have like a lot of it really. And, and whether that it'll work or not, a lot of it really just depends mostly on what your skill set is and what you want to work in, right? Is and Node.js the new Ruby? Do you think? Yeah, I think Node.js is 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 taken off. So Node.js, if you were looking to get paid a lot of money. Right, mm-hmm. you want to move into an area that's taken off, but there's not a lot of expertise that's been developed in that area yet. And you go write a series of tutorials on Node.js about, you know, and, and, and not just like Hello World, but really pushing on it and establish yourself as an authority. And that's how you're going to get paid a lot of money. Interesting. That's interesting. So we, we were working with CouchDB for um, some for the think tank thing, myself and Sebastian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, CouchDB basically is very similar. To, to to what you describe, with also the kind of the whole built-in uh, document database system. 
And it's, well, a lot of people are using, because they, they store a lot of stuff in, and they use JSON for their storage, right? Right, yeah. It's, yeah. it's I mean, it's amazing. I mean, the, the CouchDB stuff that we were doing, I, to me, I just like, oh, wow, that is the future. That, that yes. approach. Node.js combined with, stuff, with some of these document databases or key value databases like Redis or, you know, or MongoDB or Couch. I mean, this stuff's really powerful. So you link up a couple of things, you can do some really cool stuff. I mean, you can still build the same, you can still use MySQL instead. I mean, you know, you, it's just a matter of how you use it. But, you know, there's always, there's many ways to skin a cat, but there's certain problems that are, more, are solved more easily using something like Node.js. And one thing I'll say though is, you know, I was like, because what we want to do is we want to plug this solution in really quickly. Like this can't be like a two month project. Like we want to get this thing, up, something up really, really quickly. Yeah. So I said, okay, what we can do, and this actually was Guyon's idea, to be fair. He said, you know, rather than rewriting all of their queries for all of the, um, you know, because we have to, you know, you know, we definitely have to write to the database and there's certain things we need to read to the database. So if a driver logs in and gives us an username and password or something, we got to go and query the database and go, okay, let's get the driver's information, right? Our customer's information. So in Node.js, you have to write that asynchronously. So you got to use an asynchronous MySQL library and just kind of write some code. And there was a certain, there were some certain things where it took two or three steps. Like you had to connect to a Google map service to get a lookup from a latitude and longitude and get an address. And then you had to go insert a record to database. And it was like doing all that asynchronously multi-step got kind of complicated. Right. So Guyana's is like, well, why don't we just write all of those, all the, all the database access and all that stuff as a series of rest calls using PHP. We'll just write a PHP server. We'll just wrap each one of those will be a function. And then we'll call those from Node.js asynchronously using HTTP client. And so we'll say call to the database, you know, do a rest, do a call to a rest service that's written in PHP or Python. It'll do its normal blocking or whatever. It can even be on a different, you know, computer or different location even. And then when it's done doing that, you know, 20 milliseconds later, I can get back and say, here's your results and hand it to us in JSON. So you just wrap up a bunch of closures and kind of pass them through each other kind of thing. Yep. 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 And so I thought that was a really clever way to step into it, like kind of merging, you know, no JS approach to, you know, with say Python or Ruby or PHP, it's a kind of a, a nice half step in. Yeah, that does sound good. That was clever. I think Guyon give it, he got a gold star for that. Yeah. <laughs> Congrats, so, Guyon. Well done. <laughs> well done. Yes. You rock. So uh, let's move on to something else. Go on. You go. You go. Okay. So I got a couple of things. Um, it was interesting. So last night, um, Sandy and I went to a couple of uh, Christmas parties. And the the first one we went to um, was for her junior league Christmas event or whatever. She's she has been elected to be the president of the junior league, and um, well, <laughs> year after next, right? So she's so we're going to all these. So she has to make sure to go to all these events, right? She's the president elect, and so we go to this event. You know, we go to this big Christmas party thing, and you know, for me, I'm like, you know, I don't. I don't necessarily have much in common with some of the husbands, right? It's just because it, what Junior League is, for anyone who doesn't know, it's like a women's volunteer organization. Like every city in the country has like a, a Junior League. And what they do is they do lots of volunteer stuff for all kind of different causes. And, you know, there might be, you know, Pasadena might be like 500 people involved or 500 women and they do this stuff. So anyway, we go to this event and, and I was like, uh, I hope I have someone to talk to, right? <laughs> Cause I'll be there for like two or three hours and I'm not really big on small talk. Uh, so, but there's a guy I talked to last time I and mean, he's a uh, script writer 
a successful scriptwriter. Oh, yeah. Last time I talked to him was really fun because we talked about, you know, I was asking like, what do you think about Lost and what do you think about this series and why did the screenplay work and the plot line? And he, and, and he was the he, he was the guy who said, I don't know because like I don't want to watch the competition. I don't want to help them out. No, that's a filmmaker guy I know oh. from the gym. Oh, okay, right. Uh, that's Tyler G. Yeah, Tyler. Tyler. So you know, Tyler actually just at one thing he was actually a stand-up comedian in New York for a number of years. And a hilarious guy. So anyway, this Bill, the scriptwriter. So we start talking, and I said, and I said, well, we're talking about all these, all these, uh, these TV shows that just failed. You know, they just, you know, they just sucked. And and I said, well, let me ask you the question. I mean, it seems to me that it's pretty obvious the kind of you know when when some of these shows are going to suck. I mean, you just start reading it and or, you know or watching it, and you're like, this just doesn't work at all. We were talking about the event, like why is that just like so not as good as it could be and he he would descri- he would always describe it in really funny ways and and i said well he said well you know it's like look it's like the studios and the you know mostly made up of mbas and they're they're looking at crunching numbers and they're t- making safe choices and it's like if it was mostly writers you know doing it you know it would be okay because that's they would work most often i said because i said the writers who do this professionally have to understand i mean i would assume that they would know when a script was going to work or not Right. And he said, yeah, I said, I think if you if you if the writers were were, were were left alone and were able to launch, you know, to or, or the shows that they that they wanted to, he said, you'd see a lot more high quality stuff. And AMC does a lot of they let these writers and they create they kind of let them alone. And, and so they, as a result, they have a really I mean, it's the whole shows. thing much more than the writers. I mean, there's so many things that can go wrong. There's so many links in the chain. Like, for example, you can get the wrong actor. You can get the wrong director. The music can be bad. You know, the editing can go wrong. Yeah, but it's like this. It's like if the story works, if the story is good, if the characters are good and you care about the, you care about the, the characters, the, the plot has drawn you in. That's the key thing, right? You know, the, you know as, long as, you, as long as you don't get like terrible actors or ridiculous direction, but it's really the story. You know, that's the primary thing. And, but a lot of these things, they break down. It's not because some actor sucks. It's because the story is stupid. Because we don't care. Because it's just not a good story. It's is that what well- you think happened with the vent then? Yeah, I think it's kind of dumb. Like, well, yeah, we were, we were joking about this last night. He goes, you know, he goes, yeah, it's like they tell us like, oh, it's this woman was kid, his girlfriend was kidnapped, and like we don't know, we're not gonna tell. It's a big mystery, and then they tell you like the next the next show. <laughs> Like, okay, so now I know, right? Like, you know, we're lost with like drag stuff on for like yeah. months or years, you know, like you don't know. And maybe Lost probably did it to a fault that they would just. Well, because she was, she was the star of the show. They, they just started off with the wrong thing, didn't they? But that actor, Hugo, as well, I don't think he is particularly, I, I, he did, wasn't very convincing in his. Oh, you're you know, talking about Lost? No, I'm talking about uh, no, Hugo. <laughs> yeah, well, Hugo is also on Lost, but it's the different Hugo in the event, right? That that guy who's her, her, the the leader's son. He, he somehow he just didn't put it off. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I see. I don't. I think that's the least of the problems. It's not right. the actors. The actors are fine. It's like the the production value is fine. It's just that like they're setting up this big mystery, and then they tell us right away, and it's like, oh, the mystery's over. We're telling you the second that they're aliens. You're like, okay. <laughs> like you, you didn't leave us hanging it's like you, you kind of keep the mystery we'll keep it going the narrative you know, drive basically we just didn't care you know and um yeah i mean it's like event is one of those shows that i wanted to like because i needed a show to watch and it's just making it really hard for me because it sucks <laughs> but anyway i still watching it, it, it but the um i'm gonna get to the point so the point is this the reason <laughs> i bring it up 
that we talk, we're talking about this is I said, you know, it's interesting. I just read this, uh, this uh, recent um, email from Jason Calacanis that he sent on his email list. Right. And he said that, you know, he had been really attacking um, Facebook and Zuckerberg about their policies. Like how they roll these features and it would kind of, you know, turn over a lot of things that were private, make them public and all these kinds of things. And he, Yeah, he'd done quite a lot of um, very scathing attacks on them. Yeah, really banged on them a lot. And so he met, I guess he was at some event or conference or something or party, and he met, was introduced to two of the senior Facebook developers who had been there since very early on. And he said it was kind of awkward. He was kind of waiting for those guys to just really like lay into him. (laughs) But as it turns out, they were kind of nice. So they're like, yeah, we like your writing or whatever. And he said, well, let me ask you a question. He's like, is... Are the decisions that Zuckerberg makes about this, are they evil, are they clueless, or are they something else? I mean, what is it? And the guy said, well, look, the, the way Facebook works is it's not the top-down approach. There's not like there are product managers and committees that come up with what we're going to do, and then they hand these designs and specs to the developers, and then they do it. The developers just create stuff, and Zuckerberg says, just roll it out, see what happens. Which is amazing, right? I mean, a site like Facebook, well, they just roll it out, and maybe it doesn't go to everyone. Maybe it goes to some portion of the country or some portion of the world or some portion of users, but they just roll it out and see how it works, right? They just do this kind of continuous deployment. So developers are given a lot of leeway and flexibility that they're able to come up with an idea and just kind of roll it out. And, and so Calacanis kind of had an epiphany. He's like, you know, that's kind of what Google does, right? They just are developer-driven cultures. They don't have big product teams that design stuff. The developers just kind of build stuff and roll them out. And he's like, that's why nobody can catch these companies because they're moving so much faster. And so he decided, he decided that he was going to transform Mahalo instead of having product teams and designers and, you know, these people mocking everything up and then just kind of gets handed to the developer. He's like, screw it. We're going to do, do it the other way. We're just going to have the developers do stuff. And at first, his VP of engineering, a couple of his VPs and stuff were like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Like, uh, are you sure? I mean, I don't know if the developers are going to want to do that. They're just not going to, they're not going to want to make those decisions. They just, they just want to write code. And Calacanis is like, well, then we'll get new developers if they can't handle it. As it turned out, the developers were embraced the new um, power and freedom. So, so what does he think? I mean, so what does Calacanis think about some of the Zuckerberg, well, the decisions of Facebook and, and the privacy stuff now after this conversation. Well, well I, think, I think what he thinks is that they do stuff and they learn and they make mistakes and they iterate, right? They don't ask permission. They just do stuff and they learn. And if it screws up, they apologize and move on. Interesting. And nothing has killed them. Well, why do they copy so much then? I mean, so, so are we saying that all the engineers of Facebook are just like, okay, they're, they're just basically going to copy everything everyone else does? I don't know. I mean, I think that's completely overstated. So yeah, they, you know, they look at some things that Twitter does. I mean, everybody does this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, you look at what other products are doing or what other companies are doing or other technology, like, oh, that's kind of cool. We should have something that's kind of scrolling thing, you know, and and Calacanis had made a couple of statements, he'd written some things like, well, look, I mean, the way it works in the Valley is that, you know, if there's some smaller company that's doing something cool and interesting, you don't just go and kind of implement the same stuff yourself. You kind of, the way you do it is you just buy them, right? It's kind of a fair thing to do. You don't have to. And he just thought it was kind of uncool to put it sort of, <laughs> I don't know, to, to describe it simply, it's just kind of uncool to like, just go and not buy the company and then just go and build it yourself. So what does he think now? Does he now think it's cool? No, I, I think he still probably has some issues with that. But what he does think is that the having, he, he, he's now, instead of ascribing the motives, the, 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 um, the modus operandi to evil, 
it, it is just like it's just sort of sort of this sort of what we call this genetic search. So it's like I mean it's like the Borg. I mean the Borg aren't really evil; they're just kind of existing. Yeah. No, well, the Borg is like one mind. What he's having is like a lot of independent right. minds. It's like the genetic algorithm we talked about. They're trying lots of different developers. Smart developers are trying lots of different things all at the same time. And some work and some don't. Some get iterated, some get killed. But they learn and try. They don't just spend around in meetings thinking and talking about what might be cool. They're just <laughs> like, screw it, roll it out. So anyway, I was like, I was, what I was saying to this, this script writer, Bill, I said, you know, Almost what you want is you want a, just like you want a developer-driven culture, you want a, a, a script writer, you want a screenwriter, a writer-driven content mm-hmm. development, right? You want lots of writers writing lots of stuff, and you want them driving it instead of this top-down, really safe approach. And that, like Apple is design-driven. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess one thing that, cause, but, but Apple's the opposite down. They're, they're top-down, right? They have one authoritarian figure who makes all decisions that's the opposite the antithesis of google and what you might be able to say is that and, and what in what jason Kalk has concedes is that the the only way that you beat that model is of course if you have one just person who is just unbelievable taste and, and sense of the future and steve and that's steve jobs for apple but there's just like you know one of those people in the world or whatever so but for the rest of people you need to try lots of stuff well that is interesting i mean like that that to me sounds like a great culture for a company because one of the things that I've found to be incredibly effective as a manager is just to empower the people who work for you. Just let them, you know, give them autonomy and let them do stuff. So, you know, yeah, you know, people have good. more, you know, let people's creative juices go, but you just learn quicker. And I just thought, I just was interesting that maybe one of the reasons that Hollywood is, or, you know, in, 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 in TV sucks is that everyone's copying everybody else. It's all top down. It's all MBAs, studio people sitting around number crunching, you know, pattern matching on the wrong things, you know, like, Oh, we need, a, we need, you know, uh, you know, something that's superficially like this other show. Right. And, uh, you know, that's, that's not what you copy. You just, you just want to make something that's good, you know? So if there's any Hollywood uh, guys out there, you should listen to this. This is good advice. <laughs> right. So I, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting applying that concept to the, uh, the, the world of writing or TV. So, so uh, I have an idea. I have another idea. Do you have anything you want to talk well, about? Because I have an idea. Well, my, the main stuff I wanted to talk about this show was the Plugio stuff and just a little bit of the donation stuff. So, You sure? So I'm, I'm kind of done. You're kind of done? How long are we into this? Uh, we're, we're like coming up to uh, 126. Okay, so maybe I can tell you one other idea I had. So yeah. um, I had a bunch of other topics, but we'll see. The, the idea I had, which in the same conversation with the screenwriter, is I said, you know, it's like, and you know, why Combinator works is that they, the way they develop, um, you know, all these startups is they bring in 10 or 15 or 20 startups at the same time. They give them, you know, whatever, 30 grand for two or three of them to work for the summer, and they, and they launch something. Right. I'm like, what if you could apply the same thing to screenwriting or to, to TV? Because, you know, because we were talking about how the cost of developing TV shows and all this stuff is just plummeting because now these super high definition cameras that are, are, are becoming re- very affordable, just a few thousand dollars. Anybody can buy them. You know, the editing, the, the Final Cut Pro or whatever is, is really inexpensive. You can run, you run that stuff on your computer. Um, you can put this stuff up on Google Video. You, know, you can put like hour-long things. The distribution's there. You know, it's, it's special effects are becoming really inexpensive. All this stuff is becoming inexpensive, right? So now it's coming down to not about having all these expensive cameras and, and, and things. It's about having creativity and energy and just getting a group of people. Let's just shoot something. 
right? And first we started talking about like how that might work. And I said, well, you know, what you could do is things like one thing that could work that you wouldn't have to shoot an entire movie because obviously it takes a lot of work. But what if you shot things like SNL skits, five minute skits, and you could put that online, right? And I said, you know, because first thing I started, I started talking about, I was like, what if you had people who were like TV people or movie people, people made a lot of money and they're like, just like Paul Graham, they're, people have been successful. They're kind of in the system, but maybe they want to do something a little more interesting. They want to stay involved, but they don't want to play in the, in the politics and, you know, and all the crap that you have to deal with. What if you did well, the there, there is precedent, there's precedence for that. For example, um, Simpsons. Okay. Like a, bun- a bunch of shows have started that way where... They were, like, for example, Simpsons was just like a, a subsection, you know, a, a very small little section of the Tracy Ullman show. Hmm, right. Just a little test thing, a little, little experiment. Right, I, I think I'm hearing that. Well, what if, what if you had like a, like a thing like Wire Combinator where you've got two or three, you know, teams of two or three people who were like the filmmaker, writer combos, and they developed like a short form, you know, serial TV show or something, right? What, what if you could, um, you know, you could create, I mean, you don't have to create an hour and a half movie, you know, and, and, no. and what I was thinking is, what if you could create like very niche content? Because he was asking, he's like, well, what are people going to pay for? Would people pay for that? I'm like, well, the things that people pay for are sometimes very niche things that they can't get enough of. I mean, it's like certain types of food, right? I mean, why would somebody go to a certain type of ethnic restaurant when they can get McDonald's for cheaper? Well, it's because they like a certain type of ethnic food, right? They'll pay extra money for something. And it's just like any kind of entertainment. And there are just, the niches are big enough. And now with iPads and iPhones, short form might work really work well. So you might subscribe to 10 or 15 shows at a dollar a month that are maybe they're only three minutes, you know, three minutes or five minutes or 10 minute episodes. And they're maybe not as high a production value, but it's something that's like a very, interesting it's a niche you're very interested in interesting so you're so because when you first started talking about it i thought what you were saying was this is going to be like a think tank that essentially is gonna come up with ideas that you're gonna then pitch to the studios but you're saying completely go the whole y combinator route and actually create the content sell the content publish the content and do it that way yeah i mean what you what you could do is Let's say that you created, and I, I see this stuff may not even exist. Like an, I mean, an iTunes kind of a thing. Maybe you can do it on iTunes, where you create a series of short form, niche based, um, you know, TV shows. Let's call it. You know, maybe it's not. I wonder what that could be though. Like, what 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 would people pay for that was ten minutes short form? I don't know, but no, but it's like a series. But you know, it's kind of like because I was telling them, I was like, you know, like soap operas. It's like really, that's like five minutes of of, of stuff happens, and they and they make it or like a ten minutes over an hour, and they just make it last really long, <laughs> right? The stories don't have to progress that much. You shoot like a couple scenes, but maybe it's like something you're really interested. in. I mean, look at this podcast, right? It's a it's very niche, right? But there's something about the length of time that that makes it valuable. Like for example. You know, let's say you were going to say, okay, you're going to pay me, you're going to pay 99 cents for 10 minutes of this new little micro soap, right? Micro soap opera. Like 99 cents would feel like, well, hold on a second. I don't want to pay 99 cents for 10 minutes. I want to pay 99 cents for an hour, you know? I don't know. I mean, I was just thinking, or, or, or think about it this way. Maybe, maybe what you do is the Y Combinator approach that you, 
you, you use the short form to demonstrate the idea, to prove a concept. That here's our con- That's what I was thinking, yeah. Yeah, you could do that. Like, here's our idea. And then just like they do Demo Day at Y Combinator, they bring in the investors. They bring in all the execs for all the different, you know, channels yeah, that- and studios and say, okay, we're going to take, you know, these three or four and we're going to develop. This one's going to become a movie and these are going to be, you know, she shows yeah. on TNT. Now, that, that would work. And I, I already, I mean, I just feel that would work. Because that just makes sense, right? Because you'd have you'd have all these people, and as you say, there'd be the great buzz going, and the different minds, the different groups swapping around, lots of inf- lots of kind of great ideas, and and then yep, pitch Steven Spielberg there, right? I'm going to make a cartoon out of that. Right, right, right. <laughs> that one's going to Pixar. <laughs> that would be good. I'm, I, but I'm sure there must be stuff like that going on there. I've never heard of it. I Doesn't don't know. exist. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I think I would have heard of it, but I don't think because I have a, I have a number of friends that are in the industry that are writers and you know producing low you know like two three million dollar films and stuff. So okay, no. where do you want to take this, Jason? How are you going to monetize this? How are you going to make this happen? <laughs> like I have time for this. I'm just throwing it out there. This is gonna be another one of the ideas that I'm throw out there. And like six months later, like someone's going, hey man, someone's doing it. Heard it first on texting. <laughs> We've had a few of those. Yeah, we have. I had a few of those. Uh, too Long Didn't Read was one of them. I know that. TLDR. But um, <laughs> I don't know. It's just an idea I had that I thought was kind of cool. And I think that you could apply the uh, white commenter model to content development. But I, I was well, another thing I was thinking. And music. You do all, all kind of things. But I was thinking yeah. the, the thing about the thing about, I think it makes it interesting for like TV shows or movie type stuff is that stuff is becoming so inexpensive now. Right. It's just like when computers become cheaper and cheaper, bandwidth becomes cheaper and cheaper. All of a sudden, the price, the price structure changes so much that everything changes. Like almost it's just the content that's the king kind of thing. Right. But the con, all the technology and distribution and all this stuff is becoming so much less expensive that it's limiting the, there's only a few more factors left that make it hard to make it happen. But like we're talking about, you could get a certain amount of it done on the cheap with a few people, get a bunch of actors who are, you know, trying to build up the resume who will do it for free to get their name onto something or maybe be attached to something. I mean, I have a number of friends who shoot kind of guerrilla style, you know, quarter million dollar, half million dollar movies. And they have a lot of their you know, friends who, who are actors. You would have no lack of actors for that. I mean, seriously, I mean, actors work for nothing. Like when they're starting out, they just want to get themselves on film. Yeah. So that would be, oh, they need some that tape. part would be easy. They need some tape and they, you know, you need, you, they need yeah. some tape and you can get a lot of people who will do that. And um, yeah, I think it'd be possible. I, and I think it'd be really It'd be really cool. It'd be really neat. But one thing that was interesting, another thing that was interesting about it is that the reason that some of these ideas came up was because I was talking to a screenwriter, right? It wasn't I was talking to another tech guy, right? Uh-huh. And so he was talking, and I just, so I started trying to apply, you know, analogize things that, I, that were happening in the tech world to his world, and, uh, you know, and I just kept saying, well, what about this? Or could you do this? Or could you do that? And, and that's where a lot of ideas happen is like this fusion when you apply ideas from one field to another field. And that's like when really like a lot of creative, create a lot of creativity happens is that it, because these, these sort of different worlds, these different fields are sort of get isolated. They become islands unto themselves and they don't quite understand or share ideas or methodologies. But sometimes you take one from the other and you just say, all right, we're going to transpose how things work in this one world to this other world and just see what does that look like? Mm. And, uh, I think this would be one example, but I don't know. I'll be interested to hear what our uh, listeners think. Maybe, maybe. So I think that, um, <clears throat> 
I think the evening shows it's, <laughs> this is, I don't want to kind of say that the show is bad or anything, but I think that the evening shows that our energy level isn't the same as when we do it in the morning. Really? Uh, that, that's what, that's what I think. I think my energy is higher. Just, I think maybe yours yeah. is low. Maybe just because I'm so freaking tired. <laughs> my energy was high. I think it feels like on crack. You've rocked this show. Well, no, I'm just saying I definitely didn't <laughs> lack energy, I don't think. Okay, fair enough. We'll see what our li- listeners think. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't mind doing them at, at, at night at all. I don't, you know, whatever. But okay. um, it's easier for us, I guess, to do on the weekend to make sure it gets done. So I think that is a wrap. Uh, although I'll let you call it because that's your role. All right. That's a wrap. We're out. <laughs>